0: The text for this morning's sermon is the Word of God as we find it in the first two verses of the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. After the sermon, we'll respond by singing Psalm 145, stanzas 2 and 3. This morning's sermon was prepared by Rev. Peter holt minister in the Spring Creek Canadian Reformed Church in Tintern, Ontario. It's the first in a series of sermons on the first three chapters of Genesis. This morning we begin a series of sermons on the first chapters of Genesis. I thought it might be fitting if together we begin at the beginning. These chapters are at once very familiar and yet for that reason very challenging. I mean, most children know the creation days by grade three, right? We're all very familiar with the Garden of Eden and the temptation of Adam and Eve. Is it really worthwhile to spend time in the preaching on these chapters? And yet, brothers and sisters, it is fitting and important to slow down and dig deep into the treasures of these opening chapters of Genesis, for they are the foundation of everything that follows, not just in the book of Genesis, but in the whole Bible. The Lord, in his providential care, has placed Genesis as the first book in Scripture, and in it we find the blueprint for all of Scripture. Get Genesis wrong, and you'll get the rest of the Bible wrong too. You can see this in the many controversies that rage over these chapters. Evolutionists outright deny any creative activity of God whatsoever, while others mix evolution together with creation. And among those who confess the name of Christ, there are those who hold to the gap theory and the framework hypothesis. And much ink has been spilled arguing whether a day in Genesis 1 is really just a day. Others believe that Genesis 1 through 11 isn't really historical fact at all, but rather an imaginative, poetic recounting of the origins of the world. And the conclusions people draw from these chapters affect their beliefs in the rest of Scripture. If Adam and Eve weren't real historical people, for example, then maybe marriage is not necessarily between one man and one woman after all. And if there wasn't a first Adam who sinned, should we really believe there was a second Adam, a last Adam who worked salvation? So let's pay a careful attention to this part of God's word also, where he introduces himself to us for the first time, where he sets the stage for all of history, including our own time. I proclaim to you this word of God. Meet your maker, the creator, the creation, the Care. Meet your maker, the creator. Our text begins with these familiar words. In the beginning, God. And when you think about it, these are remarkable words. It's almost as if we've missed a chapter in the story. Moses, the author, introduces the main subject of the account, God, without any explanation whatsoever of who he is. In the beginning, God. Moses does not try to explain the origin of God, where he came from, how he exists, or who he is exactly. There's no philosophical inquiry whatsoever. There's no proof offered for God's existence, like so many demand today. But rather, we find a simple, profound statement of faith. In the beginning, God. It's a key point to keep in mind when we engage in evangelism work. The Bible never tries to prove that God exists, it simply confesses it. Some Christian theologians and apologists have tried to use reason and logic to prove the existence of God, but that's an unfruitful path to follow. For if God has not given us this proof in the Bible, how do we ever think we're going to find it? Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should cast aside all reasoned arguments for God's existence. The Lord has also given us a mind with the ability to think and reason. With careful thought and analysis, we might be able to help remove an obstacle in someone's thinking about God. God's existence and activity certainly are reasonable and logical and can make sense to the mind, but at the end of the day, they are not provable. Accepting that God exists is a matter of faith, not reason. It's not a matter of winning the argument, but it's always a matter of winning the heart of someone, a change that only God's Spirit can bring about through the Word. In the beginning, God. On the one hand, these words mean there was an absolute beginning. It does not speak of a beginning or any old beginning, but the beginning, the very first beginning. Before that, there was nothing. Before that, there was no creation no matter, nothing, only God himself. For that's the other thing these words mean. God was there. God simply was. He simply existed at the time of the beginning, which must mean that God existed also before the beginning. God himself has no beginning. He is before all things and above all things. We learn something about God's essence here, beloved. He is eternal and transcendent, that is, God is timeless and boundless in his presence. We sang about that in Psalm 90, verse 1. From everlasting stands your holy throne, to everlasting you are God alone. We humans are mere creatures, bound within time, confined to one place at one time. But God has no such restrictions. He is outside the limits of time and space outside the limits of the laws of nature. For he existed before they did, and in fact he created them. That is clear from the next words. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This is a description of God's first act of creation on the first day. God created first the heavens and the earth in a basic form, a rudimentary form as yet uninhabitable, that comes out in the description in verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Literally, it was desolation and emptiness. God's initial act of creation set forth a cosmos that could as yet not be lived in. And God was able, will go on to finish his work in the coming days and make it habitable for all creatures. But what stands out in the opening sentence of the Bible is that creation is something different from, apart from, the Creator. The Creator exists in a class all his own. This stands in marked contrast to how many people today think of God. Many think God is part and parcel of creation itself. You see this strongly in the environmental movement, where Mother Earth reigns supreme. The Earth and nature cannot be harmed in any way, the thinking goes, For we derive our life from the earth and we in fact stand on an equal footing with the rest of creation. The spirit of God is found within all creation, whether it's a rock, a tree, or a chimpanzee. Many native peoples of North America still believe that animals have spirits just like humans. This is really an ancient heresy called pantheism, which teaches that God pervades all creation as an impersonal spiritual force. And don't think mainstream culture doesn't believe this either. Many television shows, many songs, many Disney movies teach this. You see it especially when someone dies. What happens to their spirit? It doesn't go to heaven to live in God's presence, much less to hell for punishment. But it stays around on the earth and becomes one with nature. People will then say of the deceased something like, we see him in the birds of the air, in the clouds, We hear him rustling in the green grass, in the laughter of our children. His spirit has joined with the great spirit or God that is nature. Look for that the next time you watch, read, or listen to popular culture. There is a strong belief that nature itself is one with God. But the Bible teaches that the creator is separate, distinct, and above all his creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's a good thing too, isn't it? What purpose is there to life if all we do is live as a human today only to be joined with nature tomorrow? And what help is there in this difficult life where we battle the effects of sin within creation itself? What help is there if nature itself is God? But our God, our maker, is above creation, is superior to nature, He, in fact, has nature in complete control so that he is more than able to help in our difficulties. Beloved, there's nothing your Creator can't do to help. His power is beyond measure, and his glorious creation demonstrates that. Out of nothing, he created all that we see and all that we don't see. That is implicit in our text, but it is confessed loud and clear in the rest of the Bible. Think of what we sang in Psalm 33, verse 2. He by his word has made the heavens, their host appeared by his decree. God spoke and creation leaped into existence. Can we even comprehend such power? Remember that your God is also your maker. Go to him for all your needs, for God your creator is listening carefully. That too comes out when you reflect upon what it is that God is doing. God created the heavens and the earth, the universe, But why? Our text does not say in so many words, did God need to create the world? Was there a necessity? The answer must be no. Nothing existed besides God and God of himself has no need of anything. God is self-sufficient in every possible way. God is perfect and complete and has no need of anyone or anything outside of himself. That is not the case with us. We humans, in fact, all creatures, are fully dependent on things outside of ourselves. We like to think that we're self-sufficient, but the truth is we need food, shelter, clothing. We need human companionship, love, and support. Anyone starved of these things it lives in misery. But most of all, we need God. But God doesn't need us, does he? Paul states as much in Acts 17, verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God could have continued in perfect bliss and contentment if he had never created anything. What then is the act of creation, brothers and sisters, but an act of pure grace on God's part? He created all things not for his benefit, but for creation's benefit. Not to fulfill a personal desire, but rather to share himself. To share his goodness and love with others. God set out to create so that all the works of his hand might know him, might live under his blessing, and be filled with joy in fellowshipping with God who is good, wise, perfect, and filled with steadfast love. We exist, the world exists, purely by God's grace. Ponder the wonder of your maker and his grace. When you have a need, trust your creator to fulfill it, for that is his creative purpose. But then you must also give the creator your love in return, your undivided love and devotion. A lot of people have forgotten their creator and live as if he's not there, or as if they have nothing to do with him. Some people acknowledge that God exists, but treat God as if he is lucky to have them around. Some, by their attitude or their actions, hold God at arm's length and try to restrict God to a part of their lives, say, coming to church on Sunday or going to Bible study. But for the other parts of their lives, the Creator is shut out. He's not allowed to come in. He's not allowed to have a say. Does that describe you, beloved, Don't think of your neighbor in the pew now. The word of God comes to you first of all. How about it? Do you remember your creator in all aspects of your life? God created the world. He created work. He created relationships. Do you remember God at your workplace and inside the four walls of your home? Inside your bedroom when no one else can see, do you also there consciously live and act under the eye of your maker? In your mind, with your words and with your actions, do you reckon with almighty God who made every atom in your body and do all of these things in submission to his will? Or are you harboring sin in a portion of your life, convinced that no one knows of it or that no one will ever find out? Too late. Your Creator has known all along, and it's to Him that you will have to render account. Now is the time to confess that sin and repent. For as Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9 says, Follow the ways of your heart in whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. God didn't create this world so that it could despise Him or keep Him at bay. A day of judgment is coming. Are you ready? Submit to your creator and live joyfully in his creation. For that is also something clearly taught in our text and indeed through the whole chapter. All of creation comes from God's hand. All of creation, therefore, is connected to and related to God. Even more, all of creation is under God's authority, his rule. You cannot cut up life into different slices like an apple pie and say... That part is for you, God, but this is for me, or this is for others. And yet this is done by so many. Religion, people say, is merely someone's personal beliefs, simply a part of their lives. It's something you do a few times a week, a certain number of hours a month, and at special times of the year. But there's more to life than religion. When Mr. Paul Martin was Prime Minister of Canada, he claimed to be a religious man a devout Roman Catholic, but at the same time insisted that his religion may not dictate what he does as Prime Minister. It's on that basis that he refused to denounce homosexuality and felt free to pursue legislation to fully legalize gay marriage in Canada. He parked his faith at the doorstep of Parliament Hill and then did his work as Prime Minister. Mr. Martin had carved up his life. He relegated God to Sundays, but kept him out of the picture monday to saturday and there are many examples of other politicians who have done the same thing but god can't be kept out of the picture monday to saturday god made each one of those days too and for those of you and for those who take the whole bible seriously in faith and understand what the creator has done for us who believe brothers and sisters all of life is religion All that we see and experience, all that we think and do, all of our relationships, all our education, all of our adventures, all our days, they all relate to God. All of it falls under the authority of our Creator, and nothing can be understood or experienced apart from the one who called it into existence. This is what we call a worldview How you understand the universe and all that takes place in it. As Christians, as Reformed people who stand on the Bible as God's infallible word, we understand the whole world to be in God's hands. Whatever God has created of itself is good and to be enjoyed by us, God's creatures. The world is not divided into religious things and non-religious things, but all of life pertains to our faith. When farmers plant their fields in the spring— They sow the seed under God's command and pray for God's blessing. Whether you're a salesman, a tradesman, a printer, a student, a mechanic, a secretary, a teacher, an architect, an engineer, a janitor, a minister, or a stay-at-home mom, each lawful vocation is a calling from God to labor within his creation. None is more holy than the other but all must be done out of faith to the glory of our Creator. Whatever our hand finds to do, we must do it with all our might. Life has meaning only when we connect to it to our Creator and live it under His authority. I want to return to the area of government and politics for a moment. We get our information about government and the political leaders of the world, largely from a secular media none of whom mentions the role of God in government. Over time, I think we've been become used to thinking like the world, as if what is done in the provincial legislature, or in Ottawa, or in Washington, D.C., has little or nothing to do with what we're doing here in church. But brothers and sisters, also the governing authorities of our land and our world will have to answer to God. And it's our job to make them aware of that and call them to account for their actions and decisions. If we Christians don't speak out to our elected leaders about the godlessness of their decision-making, we share in their guilt and serve the cause of darkness. Let's not think that government is outside of our concern. I understand that on occasion, in various places, church members have participated in local municipal government over the years. If so, excellent. God's name is being exalted in the local town hall. But let's not stop there. Let's allow our knowledge of God as Creator to energize us also to work for His glory in the provincial and federal realm. And we can do that all the more earnestly and all the more effectively because our Creator is more than the God who made us. He's also the God who saves us. For the truth is, we've ruined the Creator's good creation with our sin. We insulted and offended God with our choice to disobey His command. And because of that, sin has corrupted the heavens and the earth. And yet our Creator has not abandoned us and destroyed us, as was His right to do. For our Creator is not just God the Father, but also God the Son. As we read in John 1, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning." Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Our text does not mention his name, but God's Son was clearly present and deeply involved in the Father's creative work. And ever since our fall, the Son has been deeply involved in the Father's recreative work. Because the word of God came into the world to bring life. The world he helped create is the world he has come to save. Where man has failed and made this world a dark place to live, the sun has succeeded and pierced through the blackness. As John writes, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. John uses the creation vocabulary of Genesis 1 to write about God's new creation in Jesus Christ his Son. Beloved, the Father created this world through the Son, and now he has redeemed the world through his Son. That makes this world worth our time and effort, doesn't it? Sin is here, and we must struggle against it. But sin has been overcome by Christ and will be removed from this creation on his great day. You can live and work under that blessing, under that hope and expectation. Life is worth living because it has been saved from futility through the cross of Jesus, and may, we may live and work with the aid of our ever-caring God. Verse 2 may seem rather obscure. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's hard to know what to make of this at first, but notice how the Holy Spirit is mentioned here. Father, Son, and Spirit are equally involved in the great work of creation. The Spirit is described as hovering over the waters. Now that verb hovering is as close as we're going to get in English to the Hebrew word, but there's a nuance we need to understand as well. That verb is rather rare and is used only two other times in the Old Testament, most notably in Deuteronomy 32 verse 11, where it is used to refer to the action of a mother eagle hovering over its young. You see, the mother eagle has to teach the little eagle babies to fly. To do that, she will nudge them out of the warm nest with her beak so that they tumble headlong to the ground. As they fall, they will instinctively begin to flap their wings and learn to fly. But if anything should go wrong, if the eaglet doesn't quite get it, or if there's any danger, and mother is prepared to swoop down and catch the baby bird up on her wings and take him back to safety. That's why she hovers. The hovering of the mother eagle is motivated by deep concern and care for her young. Well then, the Holy Spirit in his hovering over the waters is not just idling there like some hovercraft, but he is actively caring for the creation. He was watching over it, even upholding it so that nothing falls apart. And now look at what the Spirit cares so much for, an earth which was formless and empty, covered in darkness. If the Holy Spirit cares so much for an unformed world where there is no life whatsoever, a world that as yet is uninhabitable, how much more do you think he cares for this world that is full of life created by God? And how much more do you think he cares for you a child redeemed by the Son and chosen for everlasting life. Meet your Maker, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no one like Him in power, in grace, and in love. He's given Himself to you. Won't you give yourself to Him? Amen.